Hi, ho, ho, it's me, Danny Trejo, back at it again with a new episode of the Boy Time Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by Babby and Paul. Hi. Ooh, ooh boy. Uh, we took a week off. Frankly, I think last week we were all very tired. That seemed Still to be tired. the consensus. <laughs> um, uh, I did not watch a single movie that week before. Uh, I have been working. I worked 13 days straight. Um, I had one day off on Sunday, and then I'm working all this week, too. So I have not really had a lot of time to watch movies. Um, I watched one movie. So oh, no move. Just one. Um, yeah. And it didn't... And here's the thing. Last time I brought up that I was going to watch I, Tonya, I, Robot, and I, Vitaloni, I got 20 minutes into I, Vitaloni, and I turned it off because it was so boring. And I should have known from the title that it was an Italian film. Um, Italian movies are well known for being boring and very, very slow. Um, but I forgot that fact. So who knows? Maybe at some point I will watch that movie and I will do this funny little three movie run. Uh, this week I was like, okay, if, if I'm not going to watch I Vitaloni, I'm going to do three one word titles that are all sharp weapons, mm. trying to make it as specific as possible. Uh, so I was going to watch machete blade and Excalibur. Mm. Um, but I just watched machete. So. I've been yeah. very busy. Well, actually, we I did watch Shark Boy and Lava Girl, so we were in the same realm. That uh, yeah, same Danny, Danny same Trejo wasn't in there though. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird because you know it's famous because they're in the same universe, uh, Machete and Spy Kids. Mm. For mm. some reason, it's, it's so weird. <laughs> it's I'll, really cool. I'll, I'll, I'll put the, I'll put that in like giant air quotes because. Uh, there's no connection between them except no. that his character, Danny Trejo's character in Spy Kids, is called Machete, and Robert yeah, Rodriguez directed both. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, and Junie is in Machete, but he's not playing Junie. Um, and also, Cheech Marin is in Machete, and he plays like the uncle in the first Spy Kids movie that turns out to be like a government agent. Like rips his mustache off. It's been a hot minute since I've seen the first Spike Kids, but um, yeah. I remember that Cheech Marin is in it uh, of Cheech and Chong fame. Um, but oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. forgot the character. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, like when the parents go on vacation, they're like, "Hey, Cheech Marin, watch our kids." And then the the Steve fl- Buscemi's in there for like five seconds, isn't he? He's in the second one. He plays oh, okay. the he plays the scientist that is mixing all of the animals oh, together. Oh yeah, with the pigs. Yeah. Yes, he rides in Spy Kids three. He rides in on a flying pig. Yes, at the end. Famously. Famously, yeah. Um, I know too much about Spy Kids lore. You, even though we watched those movies like three years ago, I still remember though them. Those will kind forever of be implanted in my head. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely true. So it was nice to kind of get a Spy Kids 2.5 in uh, Machete. Um, or 3.5? I think it came out after Spy Kids 3, because Machete came out in 2011. Um, 
but yeah, uh, I guess I guess we can just talk about it. There's not a whole lot to say. Um, although the cast in it is kind of crazy. I had to stop like halfway through the intro credits because I'm like, I have to write this down because this cast is absolutely nuts. Uh, so yeah, Machete, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Uh, it is starring Danny Trejo, Steven Seagal. Uh, he plays a Mexican drug cartel uh, kingpin, um, which, which is weird because we all know that he's a, a Russian. <laughs> <laughs> or at least he claims to be. I'm not sure. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez of the Fast and Furious movies. Uh, Lindsay Lohan. Uh, Tom Savini. Frank Ziti himself mm, uh, <laughs> is in this movie. As soon as that came up, I'm like, oh, we were just talking about Frank Ziti last week. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, then Jessica Alba, Cheech Marin, and then somehow Robert De Niro, uh, it has, it's, it's a wacky cast of, of all sorts of different people. Um, but yeah, it is, it is super violent. It is very gory and it was, it's very ahead of its time because the whole, the, the bad guy in, in the movie is played by Robert De Niro. He's playing a Texas Senator that is uh, all for creating an electrified border wall to, to keep those immigrants out. Uh, and the like right-hand man of Robert De Niro is like a U.S. marshal that like goes around on the U.S.-Mexican border like hunting, uh, I guess, uh, illegal aliens that are trying to, to cross the border. Uh, and Robert De Niro is shooting them also with like an AR-15. And he's like, you should say that my high dollar donors are going to love this. And then like they film him shooting a person, um, which as you can guess, comes back in the end in a big way. <laughs> it's the, it's the classic I'd kidnap a thousand children before I let this company die moment. Where he's like, what? I never killed someone. And then they're like, explain this footage then of you shooting someone who's unarmed and seeking refuge. <laughs> he's like, uh-oh. Uh, but yeah, it's it's pretty G-dang fun. It's, it's a good movie. Uh, Danny Trejo. Like, it, it's one of those movies. It's kind of like a James Bond movie. Like a classic James Bond movie. Except all of the women aren't named like Tina Sexton or something. Uh, they're, they're given actual names. But they all fall in love with Danny Trejo immediately. Which I think is the most unrealistic part of the movie. Um, because, I mean, Danny Trejo kind of has the Steve Buscemi thing going on. Where he's just kind of funny looking. That's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but why would Je- is in right now? Well, that's true. Was it in in 2011? Um, mm, maybe it's, it's just kind of weird to see like Jessica Alba be like, Oh, Danny Trejo, take me now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> this is like Megan Fox and like machine gun Kelly all over again, where it's just like these two things should not be happening right now. Um, and uh, yeah, and him and Michelle Rodriguez also hook up, uh, and him and Lindsay Lohan. Um, but unlike a James Bond movie, uh, Danny Trejo 
waits until women are no longer inebriated before having sex with uh, them, which, you know, very <laughs> ahead of his time, you know, uh, he was really, he, he really was like, I, I, I know that the Me Too movement is going to happen eventually and I'm going to get out in front he of it. He had that foresight. Yeah. <laughs> Not because he's a good person, but because he was afraid of being canceled. That's right. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those movies. Uh, but I think I think my favorite part of the movie is there's a a hospital fight scene because uh, Danny Trejo is hired to kill Robert De Niro in the beginning of the movie by like some random guy. Uh, like I need you to put a bullet in Robert De Niro, and it turns out it was all just a big ruse that the guy who ordered him to kill Robert De Niro was in on it the whole time. And he like frames Danny Trejo as like, ah, an angry Mexican person tried to kill Robert De Niro. It's like, ah, and like, uh, you know, there was like an actual sniper there that like shot at Danny Trejo and then like shot Robert De Niro in the, in the leg. So there was a second shooter the whole time, but everyone thinks it was Danny Trejo. Just, Just like, like John F. Kennedy. Yeah. <laughs> See, this this movie is actually very <laughs> revolutionary in its portrayal of American politics. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, he gets shot at by this sniper and he's taken to this underground hospital where, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is weird. Where, like, all of the nurses are wearing, like, sexy nurse outfits and then, like, they're helping Danny Trejo, and then, like, the doctor comes in, and he's, like, looking at the woman's ass. And the lady's like, you know, I can, life can feel you in my uterus right now. And he's like, oh, do you want to? And then, like, he spanks her. I'm like, what the hell is this? What kind of hospital works like this? Yeah, and then he's just, like, out of the blue, he's like, hey, did you know that the human intestine is, like, 60 feet long? It's true. I'm a doctor. I'm like, that's random. Is he like, is that a sex thing? Or he's like, I I have a 60 foot schlong. I can put it in your ass and I still wouldn't get to your stomach. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But it comes in handy later because as Danny Trejo is escaping the hospital after the Robert De Niro's goons are there trying to get him, he uh, he's on like the third floor and he like chops one of the goons like stomach open he grabs the intestines and he's using it to rappel down the building uh because he knew it was set up that he knew that there was at least 60 feet of usable uh rope that was just there in that guy's body so it's actually probably the best movie of all time honestly i didn't i didn't know intestines were that strong they they i don't think they are um <laughs> if i'm being honest and danny Trejo, he's a big guy uh, I think he that, that would have definitely ripped, but it made for a great scene because he rappelled down the wall and then he just like broke through like the uh, second floor window, you know, like a like an action star. Uh, it was pretty sick. Um, nice. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good movie. I would recommend it. Uh, it's not high art, but I don't know if there's a single Robert Rodriguez movie that <laughs> should be. They're considered. high art in their own special way. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Now maybe for next week I'll watch From Dusk Till Dawn, which I think is a mm. Robert Rodriguez movie, it has George Clooney in it, and also Quentin Tarantino is acting in it. 
I don't think Tarantino mm. wrote it or directed it at all. I think he's just in it. Um, you better say the N-word. You know, I, I, I think that's something in his contract. He probably, I would be disappointed if he didn't. <laughs> I'll report back uh, and <laughs> see. Uh, but yes, that is... Uh, that, I think that's the biggest Robert Rodriguez movie is probably from Dusk Till Dawn. Let me double check that that is a Robert Rodriguez movie. Okay, it is. It is written by Tarantino, directed by Robert Rodriguez. Um, and then Tarantino's in it. Mm. And Danny Trejo is also in it. So it's, it's bound to be a good movie. Oh, and Frank Ziti is in it as Sex Machine. I love Frank <laughs> Well, I don't know why Frank Ziti is. He's not an actor. <laughs> he's a special effects guy. He but, just wanted to be there, you know, and they were they wanted to be nice to him. Well, I guess. The thing is, is that Frank Ziti was in Machete, but, like, all of the special effects is all digital. Like, <laughs> there's so many, like, fake blood squibs. Um... Which you know, I was not a I was not a fan of, but uh, I thought I was like, oh, that's kind of weird that Frank Zidi is in, like known for like making all these blood effects and George Romero and like George Romero movies and like the Friday of the Thirteenth movies. It's just like he's just here to act. He's not here to do any special effects work. Uh, so good for him, I guess. But. Yeah, I'd recommend a machete. Uh, so yeah, I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do next week, but I don't even know how many movies I'm going to be able to watch. Uh, on my one day off, I did not watch any of the movies that I was going to. I was I was with my girlfriend and we watched Little Miss Sunshine, which I've already <laughs> talked about on this show. Um, so I will not do another review, but it is a very good movie. Um, but it does not involve any one-word weapon objects that can be used to slice and dice. Therefore, it is disqualified <laughs> from being talked about. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> well, I already talked about it. I feel like I talked about it not too long exactly. ago. Um, I think it was probably before 200, but I did talk about it somewhat recently. So it's a good movie. Check it out. It's on uh, Max. So, there you go. Uh, let's move on to some uh, news stuff. Uh, just one little thing. But we did get some stills from the new last season of Fargo. Uh, Fargo Season 5 is premiering on November 21st. Hey. It forgot they were doing another season i forgot too and then they're like hey it's coming out in two months i think it was one of those things where like you know covid kept pushing it back and back and back but uh, it's finally coming out and john ham is the lead so you know Let's it's go. gonna be good love john ham uh and it appears to be more like a western like the stills made it look like a western everyone's wearing cowboy hats um nice. It looks like it's like a, a, a northern western, so, uh, north not northwest, not like Oregon, but like I think it probably still takes place in Fargo, just like a long time ago, where everybody's saying yeehaw and herding cattle through the frozen wasteland. I don't know, but 
I'll probably watch it eventually. I'm backed up on everything else, but I'll probably watch it eventually. But Fargo's a pretty good show. I don't think it ever gets as good as the movie does, but it's... No, but it's, it's enjoyable. It's a good show. It's a good show. I saw someone, when all this news was coming out, someone was like, man, yeah, I can't wait for the new season of Fargo. Season three is one of the best seasons of television I have ever seen. Um, and I got Which very one was sad. Three? That is the one with Ewan McGregor where he's playing twins. And then there's that British guy who has messed up teeth. Oh, that was like the worst one. I, and yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's why I'm like, why is this the best <laughs> season of television you've ever seen? Have you seen any other show? Watch, watch the bear. Watch, watch Breaking Bad. Uh, watch Slippin' Jimmy for all I care. Do it. Uh, but yeah, that'll be good. Uh, and then I think the only other thing I'm gonna talk about on my segment it's not a a uh, I guess a motion media thing. It is a graphic novel that i read <laughs> that's right it's now this is now a book review podcast um so except cool. the book the books have pic the yeah the, the books have pictures in them so it's basically for children pictures, so this isn't gonna work what i read books without pictures so this isn't gonna work <laughs> oh well, that's okay that's okay uh, but i read a uh maybe one of the the darkest things I have ever seen. Certainly one of the darkest, I, I guess, superhero things I have ever seen. It is the uh, the Arkham Asylum book. Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth. Um, the crazy thing about this book is that it came out in 1989. Um, for those who don't know, their Batman history, that's a very big year for Batman. Because uh, for, I would say, the vast majority of people... Uh, from the 60s until 1989, Batman was Adam West. Uh, holy, holy trap, holy guacamole, Batman, we gotta stop the Joker from putting a big bomb on top of the Empire State Building. Uh, that was Batman for everybody until the Tim Burton movie came out. And then people were like, oh, this is what Batman should be from now on. And then it pretty much was that until the, the Joel Schumacher Batman movies came out. And then that was like, okay, let's go back to the goofy Adam West stuff. But then nobody liked those. So then, like, superhero movies were in shambles. Uh, and then Spider-Man came out. And then Chris Nolan started making Batman movies. And then it was back. But, so before the, uh, the Batman 1989 movie came out... The graphic novel Arkham Asylum, A Serious House on Serious Earth came out, um, and it was very successful. Not immediately, but once the movie came out, it was like, oh, I want to get more Batman stuff. Let's, let's read this. Um, uh, I would not go into this book expecting the Tim Burton, uh, you know, Batman. Um, I, I, I was interested in it. Because I, I think I saw a few frames on Twitter, and I'm like, this is this is a weird art style, um, and I would encourage everybody if you are able to uh, look up some pictures from this book, I would highly recommend you do so, 
the art style is uh, it's it's scary and shocking but especially how they portray the joker is one of the scariest things i've ever seen he looks more like jeff the killer than like jack nicholson i guess um especially i don't know if you'll be able to look this up i would i would look up i guess arkham asylum joker april fools there's one still where he says april fools and it is uh, it is a shocking image to be sure how they portrayed him um but it is I, so i read those frames and i'm like this is dark and it's gritty and it's everything i like about batman why i like him so much um and I'm like, this is great. I'll have to check this out. And then I found out that it is roughly what the game Arkham Asylum is based on. I'm going to say very roughly <laughs> because um, the book is, it, it kind of goes against everything that Batman stands for, but it is kind of an interesting character study um, and a kind of deconstruction of the Batman kind of... Uh, world and all the the characters in it um the way that it's related to the game is that the the book starts and we find out that all of the inmates in arkham asylum have uh have taken over the asylum you know all of the the guards or whatever have all taken been killed over lego city <laughs> they have taken over lego city <laughs> Um, and that's pretty much where the similarities between the book and the game end. Um, th there's a few things that connect the game and the book, but like that is, that is really it. Um, and you know, Batman in the beginning, he meets with Jim Gordon and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And Jim's like, you know, we've given in to like all of their demands, but their last demand is they want to meet you. Um, basically all these people that you've put in the asylum, they all want to, they want you alone in the asylum. And, you know, Batman is not scared of, of what they're going to do to him. He's scared that when he enters the asylum, he's going to feel at home. And that's, that's one of the, the interesting things that I have not seen any of the major Batman movies kind of portray. I'd say the closest is probably this newest one where you know, there is a very, very thin line between what Batman is doing and what the criminals are doing. And there's a lot of overlap in their kind of obsessions and, um, you know, who's right and who's wrong. Because Batman is, you know, beating people to a pulp, uh, just not killing them. But really, that's not a whole lot better because, you know... And if you really take a step back from from Batman and everything about it, you know, it's a a rich white guy who has inherited a lot of wealth, who is using said wealth to beat up poor people <laughs> um, who are uh, only acting in the ways that they are because they are struggling and because they were not given the advantages that he was. Um so in many ways, Batman is not the shining example of a hero. Um, but he's so cool. But he is so cool. Um, but I think that's what makes him interesting. And what makes the whole universe interesting is that uh, there is no clear-cut good guy. Because uh, I think my, my like second favorite superhero is Spider-Man. But that is very, like, 
I don't want to say it's black and white, but it is like Peter Parker, Spider-Man is the good guy. And like Otto Octavius is killing people and robbing banks or whatever. It's like, it's a very kind of golden age superhero kind of idea. But, um, I think the premise of a superhero in general has all those questions attached to it immediately. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, but what I like about Spider-Man, this is a little bit off track, is that uh, in most in most uh, portrayals of Spider-Man is that he's not like a rich guy. He's like a down and out college student who's like struggling to maintain his life, uh, which is why Spider-Man 2 is so, so great, because it gets into that. It, it really is more of a Peter Parker story than it is a Spider-Man story. And that he's like, he's trying to juggle all these things and uh, maintain relationships. And, you know, it, it's it's more a character drama than a superhero movie. Um, but I guess, you know, back to, to, act, back to the book, um, it, it kind of portrays a lot of the superheroes, I would, or the, uh, I guess, super villains a little more realistically. Um, so like... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, Clayface, for example. Um, I don't think he's... He hasn't been in any of the big movies. I think he's going to be in the new one, the the Batman 2. Uh, I think he's going to be a villain there. Um, but, you know, he's kind of like a like chameleon-type fella. He can change his appearance and be whatever he wants to be, and sometimes he's a giant clay monster, but most times... He's just kind of disguising himself as other people and can do so perfectly because his whole body is made of clay. And in this book, um, basically, he's kind of like Deadpool in that, like, his whole body is eating him from the inside out and that, like, he's not made of, like, clay and that, like, he can, you know, morph and change into all these things. He's just basically, like... Uh, I don't want to say just like a crazy person, but just like, you know, he's being eaten alive and he's like rotting. Um, and so like when Batman, you know, approaches him, he just like breaks his leg and runs away. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and this is the good guy. Um, because the whole premise is that the Joker, you know, he has all of the, the like medical people, uh, he has them held hostage Um, and he's like, you know, we're going to kill them in one hour if, uh, if you don't find Clayface, um, you're going to have to, who else is it? It's Scarecrow, Clayface, the Killer Croc, and then there's like, this one guy that I had never heard of, it's like Dr. Desuvius or something, um, which might, he might be an invention for this book, I'm not sure. But yeah, Clayface, he just kind of like breaks his leg and then runs away. And Dr. Desuvius, basically, he's just like a guy in a wheelchair. But like, if he like, if you make eye contact, then he makes you want to kill yourself. So, so Batman just sneaks up behind him and pushes him down the stairs (laughs) and just kills him. Um, Just, yeah, I'm like, that's, that's crazy. Um, Yeah, what does... uh, Scarecrow, he's just kind of like a guy. He's just a guy. He doesn't have like crazy gas or anything. He's just dressed up like a scarecrow. 
Uh, I don't I don't even think they show what Batman does to him. But yeah, Killer Croc, he gets in a fight with Killer Croc. You don't want to know. And that, that's the one thing I'll say about this book is that the art style is crazy. It is, um, yeah, it, it, it's haunting and how everything is portrayed, but it is also not very clear what is happening because it is kind of abstract and how it is portrayed. I had to watch a video about it afterwards. Um, and also, so I got the book. I got the, it was like the 15 year anniversary. So it came out in the two thousands. Uh, and, and from that point on, um, the person who wrote it was so unhappy with the art direction. Cause he was not like the person who, who did the art for it. He was like, not the first pick that the writer wanted. He wanted something a little more, um, kind of like what most like comic things looked like at that time. Um, he wanted a very like, you know, cliche type Batman portrayal. Uh, you wanted everything to be very clear, but the person they got was this almost kind of like a David Lynch type where it's just like, why would you get this guy to come in and do the art for, for this comic? Cause you can hardly tell what's happening, even though it looks really cool. It's hard to tell. Um, but yeah. Uh, so because the writer was so pissed now, and every edition, you know, since the, I think the nineties or two thousands, the script of, of the comic is the other half of the book. So the first half is only like a hundred pages, maybe. Um, and that's, that's the whole comic and, uh, and how it was originally released. But the, the release I have has the script and has like his notes so that you can understand what's going on. Um, which I have not read cause I'm like, I'm not going to read the same thing again, but I'll, I probably will go back eventually. But yeah, I mean, Batman straight up just like kills killer croc with a spear. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, it, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, I don't want to give the, you know, the ending away and, and there's a whole other half of the book, uh, cause it's kind of it's bouncing between perspectives, um, kind of like Watchmen, uh, the, the book, not the Zack Snyder movie, or I guess the new television show, um, where, you know, for the first like two thirds of the Watchmen book, it like is like the Watchmen story. And then it's just like some tale about a pirate which I'm being, if I'm going to be completely honest, I skipped those about halfway through. Cause I'm like, this is so, I, I don't care about this G dang pirate. I know it probably <laughs> ties into the story in some way, but I was able to completely understand the story when I skipped it. So, um, whatever. Um, but yeah, so, so this move or this book is kind of split between what's Batman's going on. And then it's also, going through excerpts of Amadeus Arkham's, uh, journal who kind of, who, uh, founded Arkham Asylum, but also went on to be one of its first in inmates. So it's a very interesting story. It's a, it's a very sad story. Um, and it is, it's, it's great. I, th I think this book is, is fantastic. It's a really great deconstruction of, uh, all of the Batman archetypes and stuff, but it is a little hard to follow. And also 
this is a little nitpick. Um, okay, so I know they wanted to go further with this, but they didn't end up going far enough, I don't think. But uh, the Joker is gay in in this book. Um, and that's that's not the problem I have with it. It's just kind of like surface level. Where like when Batman walks in, Joker smacks his ass and is like, I oh, like men, Batman. <laughs> I like men, Batman. <laughs> but it's never really expanded on it. And it's a really short story, so I don't know if they really had the opportunity to. But um, apparently, when they were originally, uh, you know, making the art and the story for the book, uh, the Joker was going to be wearing like, um, like a latex. Uh, unitard that was mimicking uh, a Madonna outfit from I don't remember what song it is or what music video but basically just like a Madonna outfit and the Joker was just going to be wearing that and I I don't know why I because I, it isn't really brought up in the book it isn't like a uh, it it isn't anything like integral to his character it's just kind of like oh joker smacks batman's ass the joker is gay and i'm like okay, okay you can do something with that <laughs> there there's there's stuff that you can do by uh it is very integral believe me i i suppose um but it does kind of make me like makes me wonder because this was before harley quinn was established as being uh, a thing and even then, I think in most modern, uh, you know, Harley Quinn things is that, you know, when Harley Quinn was established, I think that was in the 90s TV show, uh, like Batman the Animated Series, um, which has Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy as Batman and, and Joker for the first time. Very, very good. Um, but that is like more overtly like, it is Joker's love interest. Like they are, she's like a sidekick to the Joker. And now it's more like, like Joker, like mentally abuses her. And it's like very much like a, a toxic thing. Um, I know that there's like a Harley Quinn TV show where I don't even think they're together. Kind of like that, that what the Harley Quinn movie they made where she's like, I, I dumped the Joker. Yeah. I don't even care. That's my that's my uh, impression of Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, just weirdly Boston. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think uh, I mean the book definitely holds up. There's a lot of interesting things it does. Uh, I would highly recommend it. I was able to find it for like ten bucks on. Uh, I think I got it on eBay, but. I did order a couple more graphic novels, uh, Batman graphic novels, just because I'm interested in that. Um, so I think over the, I think I'm going to be getting them in a while, though. Um, I mean, I got The Killing Joke, which is probably the, the most famous Batman graphic novel. Um, and then um, The Dark Knight Returns, uh, which I think actually came out before Arkham Asylum did. But... Uh, also a very, very famous one. Uh, Killing Joke, I think, was adapted into a, a like an animated movie that's on Max. Uh, I've heard mixed things about it, but 
that is that is the famous uh, story where like Joker shoots Barbara Gordon and uh, paralyzes her from the waist down, uh, basically killing any uh, Batman or Batgirl thing from then on out. Because it's like, is this pre or post killing joke? Because everybody knows that Barbara Gordon gets shot by the Joker and she's no longer Batgirl. Uh, but yeah, I'll probably talk about those when I get them, but for now I was just like very interested in this Arkham Asylum book just because the art style is so scary. (laughs) Very scary. But I think that'll do it. That's all I have to talk about. Uh, I don't know what my schedule is going to be. Well, I know I'm working every day this week but I'm not sure what my schedule is going to be for the weekend or anything like that. So I might have time to watch movies. I might not, but you know, whatever. I'll, I'll talk about something, but I guess without further ado, I'll pass it on over to Babby for Musica. Musica. Um, we did start watching the bear, by the way. So. Oh, good. What, how do you think? think what are you thinking about it? We really like it. I think we're like four episodes in. Um, it's so good. It's so good. I love how it just throws you in immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so once you finish season two and we finish season two, we can actually have a discussion. Oh, boy, now um, I got to watch it. Yeah, now I'm putting pressure on you. <laughs> It'll take us like a month and a half, don't worry. Okay, well, I got that. <laughs> really bad at finishing shows. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I have also been extremely busy. Um, so I'm combining my segments this week, actually. Oh, uh, this is the rare time that I get to do that. Um, so I'll be doing that this week. Uh, and then for next week, I might have a segment. I might not. I don't know. We'll see what time does. But uh, it might just be of a more of like a when I have time to write and say something, that'll be when that segment pops up. But sure. things are crazy right now. So, um, But music. Uh, I had to scroll up my playlist because we skipped <laughs> a week, and I don't remember if I talked about some of these things or not. Um, well, there's one so thing that will, I have that we're yes, definitely going to Yes, I will have to definitely talk about, talk about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll start with Slow Dive. They released their third single from their album, uh, The Slab. Um, <laughs> like the Curious... Uh, Courage the Dog. Uh, Courage the Cowardly, Cowardly Dog, Dog episode. Um, yeah, very good. Uh, this is definitely more of the more instrumental kind of Slow Dive. Uh, songs like Sing on Suvlaki, where it's like more watery and spacious um it's really good i really enjoy it um this this album is going to be pretty great i think i've loved all the singles so far um i think there's only eight or nine songs on it and they've released three so i've heard almost half of the album unfortunately but it's it's all been bangers so far um so excited for that uh and then next we will jump to the sufyan song yes um this was completely random i think it dropped on a monday randomly um. Yeah. So you are tired. Apparently, he's not taking a break, and he's releasing an <laughs> album October sixth. So yeah, don't know what's up with that. Uh, I remember after they released the collab album, uh, Angelo de Augustine and Sufjan. Uh, Sufjan's like, I'm taking a break for a little bit, guys, and then he obviously <laughs> nope. didn't because here we are. Um, but he I will a, take it. He did an ambient record, and then he's doing this. Yeah. So it's like not <laughs> slowing down at all. No. <laughs> But this is the first uh, first solo full-length Sufjan album since Carrie and Lowell. Yeah, um, first singer-songwriter album. 
Singer songwriter. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, there was the Ascension in there, I believe. That's mm-hmm. kind of one that everybody skips over, myself included. It's still pretty good, but it's not anything. Uh, it's not like a mainstay Sufjan album. True. Um, but I mean, his quality is always there as we keep continue to find out. Yes. Um, but this new one will be Javelin. Uh, it's got uh, 10 songs, 42 minutes. So a pretty, I, I like that track length. Um, yes. That's, that's, that's like the sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited he's going back to singer songwriter stuff because uh, the new song sounds fantastic. Yes, I love um, that so much. There's, there's definitely parts of um, a beginner's mind in there. But it's more refined, refined to him. Uh, I like how it starts very quiet and just kind of like him and the guitar, and then he has these like beautiful like orchestral bits and like background singers come in. Um, it just sounds so good. I'm glad he's going back on this direction. Um, I like his electronic stuff, but this is where he really, really kind of kills it when he has these uh, like kind of sweeping orchestral moments and background vocals and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's weird because his music doesn't it's it progresses but it doesn't sound like it because the minute I heard him I'm like oh this could have been released in 2011 <laughs> I would have believed it it really does it's like you know this is like Illinois like I could see it being on Illinois or something yeah 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 it's like an updated version of like the Illinois format which is exciting yes um, yes so uh, we'll definitely be doing a first reaction to that I, oh, I think yeah. I can confidently say that when that comes out. Um, our recording schedule is unfortunate now because we have to wait an entire week if we want to do a new release. Um, yeah. Since we record on Thursday. So <laughs> that's, that's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a little bit rough. But maybe we maybe we'll uh, push a, a recording yeah. day back up. We can do a Friday night, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's a special night. occasion. Yeah. I'm um, surprised so we yeah. never did a beginner's mind. I, I'm like, why didn't we ever do that? I don't think. Um, I don't think you've heard Illinois when when that came out. I think oh that really? Was, yeah. Oh. So I remember I talked about it, um, and I was just like, "Yeah, I've listened to Carrie and Lowell." I think so. That might be. That might be I think true. That's how it lined up because I feel like we would have done a reaction to that one. Um, yeah, I love that album. Oh yeah, it's so good. Yeah, uh, I've been going back to it a little bit recently because like I'm so ready for fall. I'm like manifesting it through music now. Oh um, man, it's so hot. So. Sufyan's uh, <laughs> Sufyan's coming in a little bit, even though it's supposed to be a hundred degrees tomorrow. Um, it's, it's it's brutal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our USPS driver is gonna combust into Man, flames. I you know I got I got some Gatorade today. My half gallon jug came in today. <laughs> Tomorrow's still gonna be miserable, but you know. Uh, I'll be hydrated. I'll be I'll be hydrated. I'm gonna bring two Gatorades and a half gallon of water. <laughs> so we'll see. Epic. Um, I think that's it for singles. Um, I didn't listen to anything new this week. I felt like this week was pretty slow. Uh, I know there's a new Genesis Owusu album. Um, I might check that out uh, eventually. Hozier dropped an album. Um, I didn't know he was still making Hozier. music. Ho- Hozier. Ho- Hozier. I don't know how you Who's say your? The take me to church guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'm like, wait, that guy, yeah. they, they st- I didn't know that they were still making music. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, but it's actually getting good reviews. I don't know if I have any interest in listening to it, though. Um, no. But it came out. <laughs> um, but we can jump to the main event this week where I get to combine my segments. And I did not write any notes for it, so I'm going completely off dome. Oh, perfect. Um, 
So we'll see how well this goes. Um, but uh, this would have been a lot more heated if I did this last week because there was a lot of contention going on. Oh, no. Um, no Name dropped her new album, uh, Sundial. Um, this I really enjoyed this album, I will say right off the bat. Uh, I think it's one of the best hip-hop albums of the year. Um, and this is the rare time where I am like a big contrarian when it comes to hip-hop releases. I really enjoy this thing. People are not enjoying it oh. um, for whatever reason. Uh, I know why, but we will get into that. Um, so No Name is a figure. Um, controversial to say the least, in the hip-hop sphere. Um, uh, she was in the news in 2019, I believe, where she said she's no longer going to perform for majority white audiences at festivals and things um, because how it made her re- feel uncomfortable. How do you regulate and, that? Uh, she just doesn't perform anymore. Oh, well. That's how you regulate that. No, I suppose, um, yeah. But she felt uncomfortable, and I can honestly believe her. Sure. Uh, Sure. There are, you know, the whole Kendrick thing that happened. Um, you mm-hmm. go to rap shows, people, white people scream that N-word in your lyrics back to you. Yeah. Uh, completely understandable. Um, so a lot of people are butthurt at that still. Um, so that came back up in spades with this album. Um, and she does talk about it a little bit. Um, she was also openly a socialist. So that's obviously going to put her under fire um, with her lyrics. And I think it makes people misunderstand this album a lot. Um, so we're going to dive into that a little bit as we go through this track list because I think people are not, I'm not going to say you're not enjoying it the right way. I think people aren't using their brains um, (laughs) in any capacity. Um, So, yeah, it's already controversial because No Name is attached to it. There's another controversy with this album before it even dropped, um, and that is including Jay Electronica on a song. Um, Jay Electronica has gone down a really weird and frankly stupid route the past couple of years. Um, he released a written testimony with Jay-Z in 2020. That album was pretty good, despite me not agreeing with any of the subject matter in it. Um, but Jay Electronica is, uh, he's a <laughs> Nation of Islam um, member. And, uh, oh. Wait, that's still know, a thing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, he's a whole, like, uh, Nation of Islam, Black Israelite type guy. Um, that comes with a lot of issues, and she did a lot defending having him on his album and then his verse was just not good at all um people are saying it's blatantly anti-semitic uh there is definitely some hintings of that it is not anything crazy um but it also is not good (laughs) is he defending Um, kanye or something no that's the thing it's like people never bring up kanye when they're talking about how this is awful (laughs) and she that she included him but then they listen to that travis scott record where he references kanye like 17 times um Plus it being Travis Scott, who, you know, <laughs> Astro World, we just saw uh-huh, that uh-huh. Uh, happen. But of course, nobody talked about that. Um, but yeah, it is definitely dicey. I don't like it. Um, he should not have been on this album, and she should not have defended him uh, this hard. Um, struggles or groups like Nation of Islam and Black Israelites are not Black independent. Like, they're not Black liberation struggles. Um, they're reactionary struggles that. Uh, are black nationalists, but not in like a good way that's actually going to move anything forward. Um, a lot of it involves anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Um, 
also people like Kendrick included his uh, uncle on Dam uh, mm-hmm. at the end of Fear to go on a three-minute speech about black Israelite garbage, um, and nobody talked about that either. So I will just also point that out. Um, but yeah, very sus. I do not like that he is on here. Um, I think it definitely weighs the album down a little bit, and I think once people heard this verse, they completely shut down from anything that she was attempting to say on this album and uh, anything that Jay Electronica was about was you know trying to say, which is pretty much nonsense. Um, so with all that out of the way, we can actually talk about the music. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I hate that I have to do that much of a disclaimer because I think this album sounds fantastic. Um, I'm a big fan of No Name. I like both uh, Room 25 and um, Telephone quite a bit. Um, they're definitely like your very Chicago jazz rap, Chance the Rapper-esque uh, kind of vibes, um, which is great. I, I love that sound. It's so soulful. I love how they incorporate um, gospel and stuff into that. Um, but this thing is pretty tight, 31 minutes. Uh, I've, it's very, very replayable. I go, go through it front to back um, while skipping a J Electronica feature in there every now and then to save a couple of minutes. Um, but yeah, pretty tight knit. There's a couple songs I'm not too crazy about. Um, but overall, like it is really, really, really good. Um, I think her commentary is on point, like 99% of the time on this record. Um, no matter how you feel about her outside of the record, I feel, I still feel she's completely justified in her views. Um, and I think she backs them up quite well on this record. Um, Black Mirror is a good intro. It's just a pretty spacey kind of, she misses, she mixes kind of like these more spacey instrumentals with, um, more gospel and jazz, which is really cool. She's really smooth with her flow and her lyricism. It's very quick, but it's also very understandable immediately, um, which is very hard to do. I feel like when you get into jazz rap and stuff like this, and even just conscious hip hop, sometimes people throw word salads at you too fast and you have to like really think about it to decipher it. But she's super clear, super enunciative, and like the, the, the flows are so good. Um, so Black Mirror is fantastic. Hold Me Down is a really, really positive uh, kind of start on the record um i just there's so much to talk about um lyrically but i'm gonna like keep it to the main ones um she calls out obama on this track and how he <laughs> the first black president and he's the one who bombed us which was awesome <laughs> um also tackles the myth of uh black billionaires like helping everyday black people um i will reference a lot of things other resources uh in this too, because of course me a white man is not going to have all the answers with this um, but sure. there are some great resources where people are more knowledgeable than me um, so people like FD, FD Signifier has a fantastic mm-hmm. video on Obama and the myth of black, black excellence um, that's a fantastic two part uh, video um, kind of breaks down the black billionaire and uh, that kind of thing he also has some fantastic stuff on Killer Mike I'm glad someone is also diving into that because I feel like I'm again, stranded on an island when it comes to Killer Mike and people aren't talking about how much he's switched up in the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, so there's there's great resources there. Um, when it gets to Balloons, this is the one with Jay Electronica on it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's such a shame that he's on this thing because her verse is so good on this song and then it just gets thrown out the window. <laughs> but... Um, she does a really good job of diving into kind of explaining herself a little bit um, when it comes to her decision to not really perform much anymore. Um, and the way that hip hop has become a kind of mainstream genre to the point where like 
it, a majority uh, of the people who listen to hip hop are white. That is because of population densities and things, but it is the most popular genre in the world right now and has been for the past like five years, I think. Even more than country? Um, what? Even more than country? I thought country, yeah. I was, the most, country. was the most popular. No, I think hip hop hip hop was at least in like twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. Either oh, way, okay. it's like huge. Yeah, yeah. Um to the point where country is using eight oh eight drums and stuff. Oh, that's now. true. That's so true. the woke um, media, they're doing it. The woke media. <laughs> <laughs> they're the reason behind it. But in the song she really tackles um how hip hop artists kind of profit off of their own trauma and how white audiences eat it up and that's those are like the ones that always have the most trauma induced in the music are usually the ones that get the most praise and attention and eyes. Um, I think it's a really, really cool way to look at it. Um, and this starts where like, I think people need to get outside of the first person when they're listening to this album, because she is not excluding herself from this. Um, this is a overall look at hip hop, the culture, how capitalism relates to it. Um, and as a socialist, I think I'm going to, take her word on it she does have a uh, book club where she does like revolutionary books and stuff um with book club so i i mean she's doing great work um so i'm gonna take her by her word that she is truly a socialist so i'm gonna review this thing as through that lens and when you do that um it's a lot better than if you were to be like oh she's just excluding herself from these things and like talking down on people because that's not what's happening i think she's really stepping outside of herself and looking at it from a kind of bird's eye point of view um so she references Kendrick a lot on this album too. Um, people got mad at that as well. Kendrick is not like this all, all good being. Um, you can critique an artist and still critique yourself and not like be like dogpiling on him. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny because Kendrick's last record literally was him doing that to himself. <laughs> um, yeah. I, so it's kind of funny how people missed the point and thought she was just whining about Kendrick the whole time. Um, but she kind of has a reference to sing about me in here and relates it to that thing of um, white audiences being fascinated with like uh, just the mourning and the trauma and all this thing and how they kind of attach to it in a way that feels kind of uh, off-putting to her and other people. Um, and then she has a line about how she can't tell if like um, she can't tell if her you know popularity and fandom is because. Um, people genuinely like her music or if it's just like a thing of consumption and people will move on to the next thing as soon as there's something new that pops up. Um, which is kind of true because people are kind of like done with her. She definitely does. She definitely wants to alienate her, her audience. She has a certain group of people that she wants to listen to her music and she's going to keep pushing for that group of people to continue listening and she's going to push out other people. Um, which again, I cannot blame her for. Um, I think, especially nowadays like when everybody has a voice like me i'm on a podcast and i talk about music and anybody can just talk about rap music and stuff like this and it, there's like just a ton of white fans who can't relate to it um and then they're going to criticize it it's it's i i completely understand it um but yeah balloons fantastic um boom boom is after that really nice just kind of chill I, I like how she kind of balances the heavy songs with these more just like fun um fun just vibey tracks like this one especially has more of like a dance beat to it um just really really great um she has a web stay with the boys uh refrain that's kind of that's kind of fun it's pretty catchy <laughs> okay that's, that's that's good yeah <laughs> um let me go to potentially the interlude um i love that this is like almost 
dead in the album like this and namesake like dead middle in the album um really ties the whole thing like together um but this one is kind of like her talking about how potential is used to like how people latch onto an artist is through potential and they all want her to like live up to the standard that they view in her head. And if she strays from that or says something off putting that they don't like that, um, they're going to be like, Oh, she had potential, but she didn't meet up to it, which is exactly what's happening to her. <laughs> she has some very controversial opinions and part of it is imposed by her. She is wanting to alienate certain parts of her audience. Um, but it's just she's really battling with these expectations of what she wants with her rap career and what other people want and what would really make her happy. Um, again, she kind of references Kendrick here. She was like, if you're just a little bit more pretty, wrote a bit like wrote a little bit like Kenny, you'd have a life worth, worth living. Um, I think a lot of this is like her not being able to get off of social media either and just reading everything yeah, <laughs> because yeah. that will just destroy you. <laughs> um, well, there's two ways that that'll go. It's either yeah. no name or JPEG mafia. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but really great. I can't talk about the interlude too much. It's just kind of like one that you have to listen to because the passion kind of comes through with it a lot. Um, then we get to Namesake, which is maybe, it's not the best song, but it's probably the second best song. Um, this one is, she is not holding back at all. I love that she wears her ideology on her sleeve and really dives into topics that you don't get a lot, especially for artists as popular as her. Um, this is, again, where she calls out artists and people got mad because they said that she's being a hypocrite for doing this. I don't think so at all. Um, this one especially talks about the NFL and Jay-Z's kind of partnership with the NFL. Um, since that took place in 2019, we've had uh, Rihanna, we've had Kendrick, um, we've had Beyonce, I think we've had, there was one more in there, Travis Scott, I think. Um, so she talks about how she obviously doesn't agree with Jay-Z and the NFL being together um, and how Jay-Z is not um, the person that like Jay-Z is not someone to look up to in the culture. Jay-Z is nothing but a black capitalist who now does the same thing as all these other uh, billionaires do. He's not the person to look up to and it's not a acceptable role model to put in Jay-Z. Um, it does the same thing as every other, you know, wealthy person who's like, you can do this too. Um, Mark Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But she also talks about um, the link between the NFL and the military-industrial complex. Um, mm -hmm. I think this was a really smart way to talk about it because she brings up the Super Bowl um, and how propagandized the Super Bowl in general is and how many people watch it each year um, and then relates it back to hip-hop with the people that have recently um, performed in the Super Bowl. Um, obviously, the NFL does have deep ties with the military-industrial complex. Um, you know, the Super Bowl starts, you have the flag that's as big as the field. You have like mm -hmm. 10 minutes dedicated to the anthem and all this garbage. And then, I mean, even you can even bring in ads and commercials that are just like so out of the realm of possibility. Um, I can talk more about advertising and stuff later, but I mean, advertising nowadays is selling you, you know, a lifestyle. It shows people in these sparkly new houses and apartments and people in their 20s buying $40,000 cars, which is just not exactly how it goes at all. <laughs> um, but she brings this example of the Super Bowl um, tying to the military as a example of spectacle. Spectacle is basically a thing that 
distracts you in either inadvertent or just kind of a background way from um, real issues. Um, I think it's a really smart idea to bring across, knowing that she is in the music industry. Um, bringing up Kendrick in this again, like I think it's fine to criticize him. Kendrick is not like a revolutionary figure. Um, sure, something like TPAB and Goods Kid Mad City like helped me in my political development a lot, but Kendrick is not someone who is like a revolutionary figure. Um, he's getting his money, he's doing his thing. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's fine to criticize him for that. Um, I think this is more of just like, what is your image of these people? Um, these people are not gonna save you from your conditions. These people are performers who make millions of dollars um, and they're not really, but she also relates that to Coachella because she refused to play at Coachella a couple of times because she didn't agree with how the company was run and stuff. Um, but eventually she gave in and did it. Um, so she's pointing out that like under capitalism, we all have to participate in it still. There is no, no, there's no option to just simply not do it. Um, so there's a big contradiction in this track that I think is portrayed pretty beautifully. Um, she puts it in much more elegant words than I do, and I don't have anything written down, so I'm just going off dome with this. Um, so, uh, but very, very, very good. I love that she kind of brings it back on herself and self-critiques again. Um, I don't think she's necessarily should beat herself up for doing that either, because again, she needs to make her money to live. This is not something where it's like your morals are above all at all times. We all need to participate in this thing and it's never pretty um, all the time. But so she kind of strikes down her own image and stuff. Um, she criticizes other people, but she also criticizes herself quite a bit. Um, I think it's really, really well made. Um, I think it's just it's really this whole album has really made me um, painfully see how white the hip hop scene is both online um, and on these review sites, um, you can really tell who the audiences are of this kind of music. Mm -hmm. And as soon as someone has a opinion that is slightly differing or crosses a border or crosses an edge, um, people turn on you instantly. Um, this album is beautifully made. There's so many really good points in it. Um, and I don't know, I just really, really, really feel the passion from here. And for people to write it off immediately because she name dropped a couple of people, um, the, the J Electronica covers, I can definitely find the criticism in. It's not going to ruin the whole experience for me because that's literally 45 seconds on a record. I still don't agree with the decision. Um, I do hope she learns from that and grows from that, um, which I feel like she should. She has a book club. I can tell she's been reading. Um, she, you know, I've, I'm hoping she'll learn from that thing and actually take that criticism. She has not. She doubled down on it in her response, which I also don't like. Um, but I think she is just that upfront with. <laughs> she does not play around on the internet. She's like, <laughs> okay, don't listen then. It's, it's, it's a little frustrating, but at the same time, I understand it. Um, but it just shows that white audiences will flip on you and you are nothing but a commodity to these people. Um, it's just really funny how like people who say they're into conscious hip hop um, will listen to this album and then be like, no, 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 no. I can't do any of that. Um, when literally all it's talking about is revolutionary, like, black liberation talk and theory um so it's it's really funny how fast people flip that's that was the main takeaway from this album for me um and she's so confident in doing it too and i love it because she does not back down to these people or give them an inch which is amazing um too many people on the internet too nowadays uh celebrities and um, musicians and stuff when they have a opinion like that um i believe they should stand on it they shouldn't back down and 
wimp out on it if that's truly what they believe um, because a lot of these people like make apologies or whatever and it's like no that ruins your whole spiel if that's really what you think and you're backing down on it it's it's gonna ruin the experience for me um, so I'm glad she stands strong on this um, mm -hmm. but continuing on beauty supply pretty great this one was a very sleeper one for me I didn't like it at first but as I just listened to the album more it's, it just sounds really good um, but this one talks about beauty standards um, and stuff like that. Um, but uh, beauty standards, how, you know, your material conditions change how you are supposed to look in society. Um, I also love the album cover of this. People said it's really ugly and stupid. I think it's pretty great. Um, I love that kind of like expressionist take on um, like a self-portrait almost with her battling all these things in her head. Um, but really good there. Um, Toxic wasn't too big of a fan of, just a uh, relationship, kind of toxic relationship and how to move on from a track. Um, not too, um, starting with Afrofuturism, this is like more of an interlude than the actual interlude. Um, really, really, really great. Um, just, I, I don't know if there's anything new that I can really point out in this track. Um, there is a really great line about, uh, uh, where is it? Da, 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 da. I can't find it right now. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but she references her book club in a really fun way. Um, but I really, I really love that track as well. Um, but gospel is, uh, one of the best songs of the year. Um, maybe top five of the year, actually. Um, this made the whole album worth it for me. Uh, first listen, second listen, third listen, like still I get goosebumps every time I listen to the song. Um, this one is featuring Silk Money and Billy Woods. Um, I think there's one more person on here too. Uh, I believe it's, yeah, Stout, um, which I have not heard of Stout or Silk Money before this song, but now I am interested in both. Um, really beautiful piano um, with more of a gospel backing for this song. Um, this is really the definition of revolutionary optimism in a song. Um, it just feels so, so good. Um, this kind of optimistic looking forward, like the road is hard, but here's we will get there um kind of messaging on here um she shouts out countries like haiti mozambique martinique trinidad grenada um all these all these countries that have had um either revolutions or strong black power movements um man silk money comes in crazy he like he is up front he is quick his first lines are i'm not gonna lie i'm not surprised to, to hear the fuji's is fbi um, I don't know if people know this a lot, um, <laughs> but uh, one of the members of the Fugees was com uh, convicted of like uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States, witness tampering, and like acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government. <laughs> Lauren Hill did that? Not Lauren Hill. Um, <laughs> Fraz Mikkel. I don't know if, I don't think that's his stage name. Um, but yeah, one of the Fugees is uh, an FBI informant. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So <laughs> okay. Immediately, I'm, really? I'm like, whoa, <laughs> come out this swinging <laughs> this whole time. Um, it, it was just kind of funny. I think I saw the Fugees today uh, posted that they're having like a 25th anniversary tour, and I'm like, how is that going to work when Lauren Hill doesn't show up to any one of her shows? Lauren um, Hill doesn't show up, and also she hates. Was it Wyclef yeah. Jean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she has a whole out. Al her only album is dissing the other member of the Fuji. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> um, but 
Oh my God, this verse is so good. Uh, super quick, but super enunciative. Um, it's great. There's a lot of really fantastic uh, ones in here. Um, can't eat the food due to special effects of the pesticides. Um, traded in our fears of a white god in exchange for external pride. And then uh, greats like this Kalishnikov kill crackers. That one's one of, one of my favorite lines on the album. <laughs> it just, he just has an enunciation that is just fantastic. Um, but this this whole verse is just fantastic. I love it. The chorus comes back in with the choir. Um, and then it's settled down and it's just a piano beat, uh, and then nothing but Billy Woods to come in, um, with maybe the best verse of the whole year. Uh, the man's had his own album come out and he's coming out with an arm and record, uh, and he's done multiple features, but this might be the best on a more just like warm soul gospel, gospel kind of cut. Um, but he basically details like him as a child watching, um, Zimbabwe win its independence, um, and Rhodesia, you know, basically disintegrating and becoming Zimbabwe. Um, we know that his father was a member in uh, the Mugabe government in Zimbabwe, um, and his mother is a Marxist professor in Jamaica. Um, but he really just details, like, the spirit of the people um, once they won that fight um, and became Zimbabwe. Uh, it just details, like, the pride in people and just, like, this overwhelming optimism um, in a way that like is almost impossible to like talk about on here because you just have to listen to the way that he delivers it and the words he chooses because it like goosebumps every time brought me to tears on like the first or second listen. It's just like incredibly moving um, from someone who has a very loud and cold voice, um, you know, historically on his own records. Uh, it's often like, more industrial or lo-fi type beats and you hear him just like going off on this piano beat and it is just one of the best things i've heard in a long time um but i mean just the words and description he uses it's it's so good um i mean even just like uh the four line or the five lines here he's like just to get a glimpse of the comrades our boys back from the bush the crowd swayed to the gospel of liberation poised for revolution wrote a little red book in my father's breast pocket the ground shook history moving underfoot i was on his shoulders on tenor hooks the leader spoke slow and focused powerful pauses is she he's, the whole verse is just a masterpiece um i'm glad she included him on this record because like more billy woods press will always be at like that that's always a good thing um but man, a masterpiece of a song, like people are sleeping on this album. I think they will forever be. Um, but that song especially is like one of the best things I've heard all year. Um, so really, really good. That's not even the outro. I, I feel like it would be acceptable if that's the outro. Um, but Oblivion is the last track and that has Ayani and Common on it. Um, the last Ooh. two songs streak is great because you have Billy Woods, you have Common, you have a fantastic no-name verse, you have the Silk Money verse. It's... The vibes are just immaculate on this out uh, on the, like these last couple of tracks here, um, so really really strong ending to uh, the record. Common is like in prime form here. It sounds like something mm -hmm. off of B, which is really impressive. Um, yeah. being this late in the game for him, um, but just absolutely fantastic. Um, so album ends on a very positive, uplifting note, uh, and it just felt really satisfying as closers after she goes into these pretty heavy and divisive topics. Um, and especially, you know, knowing that she has a book club with revolutionary stuff, a lot of these books are, um, well, the books are great, but like 
inspiring optimism. Not a lot of them do. Um, it's very, it's very political and economic and scientific with a lot of these things. And a lot of them, um, especially, uh, ones that deal with, um, you know, colonialism and stuff like that are very, very, very heartbreaking. So to kind of lift up with the optimism at the end of this record is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, but this thing is great. I, I, I will forever be the contrarian with this record, but I'm going to stand by it. Like she stands by her music because it's smart. It's fun. It's not too dense. Um, she displays these pretty intricate topics in a pretty easy to grapple way. At least I thought a lot of people, uh, other people didn't thought like think that because they heard Kendrick Lamar, uh, in a somewhat negative connotation and freaked out, I think. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, you do you, I guess, uh, but, I mean, the album succeeds in what it wants to do. The J Electronica feature will forever be a stain on this record. Yeah. Um, but I'm able to overlook it because the rest of the stuff is pretty great. Um, and it also shows how fragile um, white hip-hop audiences are, um, even though they try to portray themselves as, you know, one within the culture. Um, so it's just a really interesting study to kind of see the Internet react to this Um when it came out, I was like losing my mind because I'm like, how are all these people being this dumb? And then I'm like, okay, now this just has to be piling on and bandwagoning. There's no way like people knew this stuff before digging into the record and came to their own conclusion like that. They probably listened to it, liked it, and then saw people like responding to the controversy and they're like, oh, I'm going to distance myself from this. Bye bye. <laughs> um, because I can definitely see that happening, especially on the review site I use. Like, it was definitely a little bit of a higher score and then people started listening to it. Um, <laughs> so you had a couple of bad reviews and all of a sudden, boom, it tanked to a 66, um, which is not right, <laughs> but yeah, very good. Um, yeah, there's a couple of FD signifier videos that will do a great job explaining, um, some of the topics she has on here. Um, I also just finished, uh, Franz Fanon's, uh, Wretched of the Earth a couple of weeks ago. That is a fantastic book. Um, digs into colonialism and the mindset of the colonizer and the colonized. Um, and it's, it's a brutal book, but it is one of the best, um, one of the best books I've ever read. Um, gives you a really, really good, uh, perspective on things like that. Um, I've been exploring African history and African revolutionary movements more and more, um, through literature and stuff. And it's been really eye opening um, and really fantastic. Um, so really good. So check that out. Um, he's, uh, he kind of like, he was a psychiatrist, I believe. And he, a lot of the times he would have patients who are both the colonizers. So the French soldiers that were, um, deployed and then also the, the citizens of the colonized country. And you can just, the, he gets into the psychiatric stuff of it and it's just heartbreaking, but it's very, um, very informative. So that's all I have. Um, yeah. So next week we'll see what's out. I don't think there's anything on my radar that's coming out. I think Drake's releasing his new album. I don't think I'm going to listen to it, but if I somehow that's another get bored, Drake too, record. Yeah. Uh, for all the dogs. Oh yeah. Um, and his son drew the cover, but it, it's interesting. Oh no. You should have just got the, another emoji one. Yeah. You should have just done the dog emoji. Oh, do that. That would have been fun. Yeah. It's honestly like his best album cover since like, actually all his album covers are kind of bad. 
since take care, I'll say. Um, there you but go. I don't mind it. It's kind of cool. Like if Westside Gun dropped an album with this cover, I wouldn't mind it. So I'm not gonna, you know, pile on on Drake for doing it. Um, so it's not horrible. I'll, I'll take it. Um, but yeah, Drake's coming. Uh, there is a Alchemist and Earl sweatshirt album that oh. is in existence, and they talked about it. And there's a track list. So <laughs> okay, that is. I That's, am just like kind of. Potential. I'm stunned that it actually exists and that it's going to come out. I don't think we know when yet, um, but I will definitely be all over that thing because that's going to be. I don't want to call something a classic before it comes out, but that's got that's got potential to be like yeah. one of the best. Well, that's um, two of the best right there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I will definitely give updates once we learn more about that. Um, but that was like a thing that just kind of came out today, and he was like, oh, yeah, this exists, um, which is kind of crazy to do. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so there's a couple of things coming. Um, I think Slow Dive. Slow Dive is September 1st, so that'll be next Friday. Um, I still don't know if we want to do a reaction to that or not. I probably won't be able to go a week without hearing that album because <laughs> we'll both be wanting to listen to it, so... <laughs> um, yeah. Well, but, you know, that, whatever. That's it. All right, cool. Well, this was a little boy time mini. I suppose. A mini podcast. Just what you like. A mini. It was yeah. It was good. It was good. Very very concise. It's what you like to to hear. It's about what what you like to see, but you don't actually see podcasts. Although, Unless you have like a memory that, <laughs> or you have like an imagination where you can picture us talking. Mm-hmm. We should do a video component of the podcast where we all get together in one room. Unair mm. conditioned room. Discord. Because oh, that'll just be me. like our boy time videos. No, that's true. We could do that. I don't want to be on camera for a podcast. Are you kidding me? I don't want people to see what I'm doing, which is... You can't expect me to be dressed for a podcast. <laughs> I'm naked. I'm naked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not naked. Just for the record. Oh, we know you are. You don't need to hide it. I'm wearing a very cute yellow shirt and gray shorts. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this yes. This guy. <laughs> Sorry. I'm currently on my second glass of mead. Mead. Finishing the bottle because I don't have a stopper. But that's what you got to do when you're on a podcast. You got to get drunk. I've always said that. Yeah. It's true. Good podcasts always come when, like, you're slurring your words and, like, you're just kind of just a little buzzed, you know? Uh,. But I mean, it's next week where I get super high and talk about Marxism for 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> That's what you want. That's the new segment. <laughs> get high and uh, explain very complicated things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, OK. I, I got some news on the, the, oh. the tour, the Fuji's thing. Mm. So apparently it's a miseducation of Lauren Hill 25th anniversary tour. Oh, with how's the, that going to work when your singer doesn't show up? Well, with the Fuji's co-headlining. That's so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know how that's going to work, but uh, I would go. But I think the closest one is I feel like I don't com- feel, feel comfortable buying tickets for that because, like, there's, like, a 20% chance that they actually show up. Oh, that's true. That's she true. has such a bad track record. It's crazy. <laughs> so they just announced it 10 hours ago. And Minneapolis, the first one, uh, is on September 8th. Oh, so like, like two weeks from now, whoa, less than crazy. two weeks from now. Huh. Um, that's crazy. Cause that would probably be the Wait. one that I would go to. Cause I would not mm-hmm. go to Chicago. No Chicago. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Weird. Uh, yeah, it's weird. There there's with Fuji's for some of these. And then in Australia, she's with coffee with a K. Mm. I don't know. Coffee. I feel like I've heard of coffee. Well, there you go. Well, coffee's not going to New Zealand, but they're going to Australia. So Australia. Deal with that, suckers. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs>